Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. This is shaping up to be a transformative year for political leadership in Portland, By the end of 2024, we'll have a new mayor and a new city council. We'll even have a whole new form of government. Today on CityCast Portland, Shane Dixon Kavanaugh of The Oregonian is peering into his crystal ball and making some predictions about what we might see happen this year in city politics. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Shane, welcome back to CityCast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. It is wonderful to return to this show. Always such a pleasure to have you. And a big year ahead in Portland politics, in elections, in local leadership. We have a whole lot coming up. But I mean, before we even get into talking about who's going to be leading this city this year, our whole city government is about to change, right? We've got this charter reform process that's been going on. What is happening and like what still needs to be done before we can get to like actual elections with the charter reform? That's a great question. It's a broad and sweeping one as well. So I will try to be somewhat succinct. <laughs> and I know that your listeners, we've talked about this before on the show. Of but course, yeah. Portland is in the process of transitioning into a radically new form of government. We are essentially ditching our 100-year-old commission form of government, which was at this point in time in 2022 when the voters passed these changes, was basically a municipal outlier in the United States, completely anachronistic from a different time, where your elected city council members also ran vast portions of the city bureaucracy. We're Mm -hmm. doing away with that and moving to something that's much more commonly used in cities across the U.S., which is going to be a mayor running the city government alongside and primarily by a professional city administrator. We're also expanding the size of our city council. It's currently five, including the mayor. We're going to now have 12 city council seats across four geographic districts, three representatives in each of those districts, and then a mayor. And we're still going to have an auditor. All of this is going to basically take place come January 2025. And we're in the thick of things right now, barreling toward this government handoff. Sounds simple enough. How, how complicated could that be, right? Just swap this, change that, change all the laws, completely change the way that we're governed, right? <laughs> in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. In some ways, in between. But I do occasionally, the thought crosses my mind that even with these real radical changes that we're also rearranging the fundamentals of the city government. It's, I don't want to say deck chairs in the Titanic. I don't think City Hall's sinking the way it 
had been a couple of years ago. But, but still, you just did. <laughs> you did just put that image into our minds. So. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. But so, yeah, it's been a process. And I will be the first to admit that when voters approved these changes in November of 2022, and they wanted this new form of government in place by January 2025, I think I and a lot of other city hall watchers and observers were thinking, how on earth is Portland city government going to be able to do this in two years' time, considering Mm -hmm. that it's taken, at times, Portland much longer to do much less. Are there any major chunks that still need to fall into place before we can operate this government, though? Well, the good news is most of the legwork has been done already. It was Mm -hmm. done in 2023. Getting the pieces in place, sort of deciding what the run of show was going to look like, how that would appear, and who was going to sort of run things. And it got a little spicy at times, but we basically have the the framework in place. And Mm -hmm. we've got a budget process to go through still before July 1. That's going to be pretty huge uh, just because the budget process is always a really big deal. And this was a huge point of contention between the mayor and his city council colleagues in late 2023. But they Mm -hmm. came to an agreement on how that budget process was going to play out, which left uh, city commissioners like your Renee Gonzalez and Dan Ryan and Mingus Maps and Carmen Rubio still having a large role to play in the budget-making process. The mayor, Ted Wheeler, didn't want that to be the case because he wanted to sort of centralize administrative functions sort of as a dry run of this new form of government. But a political battle ensued, and the mayor lost on that one. So we're still going to have kind of the messy, like, no holds barred, uh, you know, five, <laughs> five different city council members and the various political fiefdoms they represent fighting over the scraps. So we'll see how that goes. The City Hall cage match continues for at least the next several months. Yeah, I think so. And just to remind people as well, in this new Portland city government system, we don't have primaries anymore. It's mm-hmm. it's a single election. It happens in November. We're still going to have made primaries because we're going to have a presidential race. We're going to have statewide elections. We're going to have Multnomah County races. We're going to have a DA's race. All of that's in May, but the city stuff only in November. And the question to be worked out right now is around the city's public financing matching funds program. Because I think what they're realizing is there's been such a broad interest in people running for city council seats. You know, there's already been more than 40 declared candidates who have gotten into the race, and we could see it get up to 90 or maybe even 100 people. So Mm -hmm. how do we uh, provide public financing for people who qualify for the matching funds program through the city? I think they're already discussing the possibility that they're going to have to lower the amount of money that candidates can qualify for because there's just not enough money in the coffers potentially to provide public funding for everybody who may qualify for it. Yeah. Let's look ahead to some of these elections that are coming up. Let's start in November, the city council race. You mentioned it. It's going to be exciting. Could be really messy. Like if if there could be up to 100 candidates in this race, 
how are voters supposed to make decisions? And and how are you and I, as journalists, even going to be able to cover that many people trying to get into office? I'm afraid to tell you that right now, that discussion around how in God's green earth are we going to cover these local elections in 2024 as the Oregonian newsroom, that's still an active sort of discussion and conversation. The other thing, too, is because this is a completely new system, and as folks may or may not know, the threshold for winning a seat on the city council is only 25% because there are three people being selected from each district. So -hmm. that really changes the entire formula for what a viable candidate might be. Yeah, I mean, and another thing that we've been talking about is that with this change in this total reform of the city council from going away from bureau management where the commissioners have individual bureaus that they're in charge of administering with this greatly expanded number of voices on the council, like the job is changing too. And so that means that we need people with like maybe slightly different qualifications than what we had in our old system, right? Well, I mean, sort of your more bread and butter elected official qualification, which is you are going to be doing largely policy and legislative work. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, something that many current city council members is just a muscle that they don't really build that much and that often is constituent work, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, responding to your the people in your district. Um, You know, under our current form of government, it's just uh, it's basically anytime there's a person with a concern or a complaint, it's sort of a hot potato because it's not I'm going to call this elected official, but I've got to figure out who I need to talk to to get to this particular issue that might be overseen by this bureau or that bureau. And as we've discussed before with trash, for instance, if there's 13 different government agencies that have a piece of our sanitation puzzle, even just figuring out who you need to talk to for something as simple as like a sanitation or trash or illegal dumping issue can just become a maddeningly difficult process that would make, you know, Kafka cringe, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, Shane, I definitely want to hear what else you're planning to keep an eye on this year. But first, let's take a quick break. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the big race, the one that you're going to have your eyes on, the mayor's race. Uh, Ted Wheeler, not coming back. Um, We have two pretty big name declared candidates. Commissioner Maps, Commissioner Gonzalez. Uh, Wouldn't we really call them big names, though? I mean, <laughs> in the milieu of like city government, like yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I would also my slightly educated guess here is that even though Commissioner Maps and Renee Gonzalez are probably two of the better known members of the city council right now, I'd be willing to wager that in terms of name ID or recognition. If you asked who either one of those individuals are, 50% of Portland voters right now wouldn't know who they were. That's just my guess. <laughs> so so I'm guessing what you're saying or what you're implying there is you think that this race is going to look really different by the time that it comes down in November? Like, are you thinking that someone's going to be sweeping in that could change the balance? Potentially. I think what I'm trying to say is that even for somebody like Mingus Maps, who's now been a city commissioner for three years, and Renee Gonzalez 
a city commissioner for only one year who ran a pretty high profile race and defeated Joanne Hardesty in 2022. Mm-hmm. That, you know, for the broader electorate and especially like a general election electorate in a presidential year, we're talking about two candidates right now. And these are the only two declared candidates who still have a real opportunity to redefine themselves to voters mm-hmm. because so many people don't know, really know who they are. So there is a real opportunity for both of these candidates to shape their narrative and their pitch to voters. And it's going to be determined also by who else gets into the race. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Maps or Gonzalez is really going to sort of try and shift from how us sort of nerdy podcasting political types have known them so far? I think they're going to have to, especially when you look at Maps and Gonzalez. There are some real differences between the two, but also when it comes to sort of the your bread and butter city issues right now, I think most folks would characterize them as moderate, business-friendly Democrats on the Portland City Council, although council seats are nonpartisan, they're both Democrats, mm-hmm. and that they're, that they're sort of centrist, moderate individuals in terms of how we def- commonly think of moderates. But in Portland politics, there are a number of people that would consider both a Maps and Gonzalez to be conservative. Or, I mean, there are a lot of left of center folks who look at Rene Gonzalez and think of him as a far right candidate. <laughs> yeah. But so between the two of them, they're both kind of carving out a very similar ideological lane going into this campaign season. So they're going to have to figure out how to differentiate themselves. That's an interesting point you're making, though, about their, you know, relative centrism. Um mm-hmm. Because sort of thinking about Portland and this moment, it feels like there's a lot of space both potentially to the right and the left of them, right? Sort of mainstream Portland, leftist city, you know, progressive politics. There's obviously a lot of space there. But then when you look at what's been in the headlines over the course of the last year or two, I mean, there's just been so much conversation and sensationalism about what's been going on with the homeless crisis, about what's been Mm -hmm. going on with the drug crisis. And it seems like... On either end, there is space for another candidate to come and uh, potentially change the balance of of uh, emphasis in the race. Well, absolutely. And I believe it's sort of widely anticipated that Carmen Rubio, who's another city council member, is going to be running for mayor as well. And yep. she definitely falls much more in that uh, progressive lane as far as uh, you know, Portland politics go. And mm-hmm. so even if the electorate and even recent public opinion polling still shows that there is substantial concerns over homelessness, crime and public safety, and drug use, and I would say that Maps and Gonzalez can both speak to those issues in a way that are probably more palatable to your um, average Portland voter as of right now. They're basically jockeying in a lot of ways for many of the same voters on those issues. So somebody like a Carmen Rubio, who's a little more left of center of them, uh, you know, she's got a much wider swath of the electorate to that she might naturally appeal to. 
Yeah. Well, before we get to November, uh, there are some big races coming up before then. As we mentioned in May, district attorney's race. This is going to be a very interesting one as well. Uh, district attorney Mike Schmidt is up for re-election. You know, he came in as saying he was going to be one of the most progressive district attorneys in the country. And I think it's safe to say is now in a race trying to keep his job. Um, what do you think about this race and what is it going to tell us about the state of the city and how voters are feeling? Well, as we were sort of discussing before we started recording, mm-hmm. John, I feel like the we have the DA's race. We're also going to have a, uh, there's an open seat on the Multnomah County Commission um, because Sushila Jayapal is running for Congress now, the former Multnomah mm-hmm. County Commissioner for District 2 in North Northeast Portland. So I'm looking at both of these races as potential bellwethers for where the local electorate is rolling into November. And mm-hmm. so Mike Schmidt, by all sort of measurements and accounts, he's going to be facing a real tough re-election. And in a May primary, uh, where there's only two declared candidates at Schmidt, and the challenger is a senior deputy district attorney in his office, a longtime prosecutor, <laughs> Nathan Vasquez. Needless to say, things have been a little awkward in that office for a few months now. I can imagine, yeah. Not, not a lot of lunch dates, yeah. <laughs> Probably not. And then also, I, if you talk to both the candidates and their supporters, uh, we also know that there's a lot of tension within the broader office as well, because there are prosecutors in that office that are uh, you know, loyal to the current DA and support him. Mm-hmm. And then there are other prosecutors who are lining up behind Nathan Vasquez. But anyway... So Schmidt's in a in a tough race. Vasquez, um, I mean, he's going to be the more sort of conservative and traditional, hard charging law and order prosecutor. But by no means is he on some sort of like retrograde lock him up crusade. Um, But in this case, he's still a more conservative district attorney and a more like focused on we got to use the criminal justice system sort of aggressively, especially mm-hmm. around these major issues that, you know, are continuing to rattle and unnerve a lot of a lot of folks in Portland. We already know it's going to be a but ugly race. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, a couple of weeks ago, Mike Schmidt and this was in December. I mean, I'm thinking like six months before this primary, Mike Schmidt came out with his first ads for the for the campaign, and they were nasty, uh, <laughs> really trying to define his opponent. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think referred to Nathan Vasquez as a Fox News phony, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> uh, and and tried to tie Vasquez to Donald Trump and to tie Nathan Vasquez to People for Portland, which is the sort of mostly anonymous funded 501c4 organization that spends its time just trying to take the piss out of progressive Portland elective officials. So mm-hmm. it was it was like no holds barred right out of the gate. And I was thinking to myself like, oh, Jesus, five and a half, six months until this election. And we're already like, it's already a race to the bottom. <laughs> like yeah, there's no way, yeah. there's no other way to put it. And that was just the opening salvo. So, <laughs> so we'll see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, even with all of these elections coming up, um, you know, we have seen the state and like outside forces really sort of sticking their fingers and keeping an eye on what's been going on in Portland over the last several months as well. I mean, um, in between what's potentially happening in the legislature, you know, coming up next month with reform to measure 110, you know, along with Governor Tina Kotek just had this big task force and recommendations for how the city should improve itself. Um, Do you see a space for sort of state intervention in the city, uh, sort of shaking things up in any significant way or? Well, certainly there are issues that are going to come up in this short session in the state legislature that will impact Portland in one way, shape, or form. We have the issue around how far are state lawmakers willing to go to make changes to Measure 110. Of course, yeah. And that's going to be really interesting to watch because there is already an outside group of folks who are raising a bunch of money and basically saying, we want to see dramatic changes to 110, including the recriminalization of small amounts of drugs. Mm -hmm. And you legislature, if you don't make these changes, we are going to take it to voters in 2024. And in addition to that, another issue that was sort of started by the Portland City Council is around officially creating a state ban on the public consumption of hard drugs, which it's an offense, but it's an unenforceable one, and it's not a criminal offense. And lawmakers and the governor seem supportive of making public drug use a crime. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Governor Kotek, when she was at the uh, big business summit in Portland in December, Uh, announced that she wants to get $20 million from the legislature uh, for basically trash cleanup and graffiti removal on state property, primarily focused in the central city. So that could Mm -hmm. be some serious bucks to do some real uh, cleanup and remediation work around some of the, you know, gnarliest looking stretches of the city still. So there are certainly things that could determine departure or change in Portland. But at the same time, I'm not sure that those changes alone are going to really cause like an overnight sea change in terms of what's being experienced day to day by your average Portland resident. Much to look forward to, Shane. It's going to be a long year. Strap in. We're going to be talking a lot about a lot of races and a lot of candidates and a lot of issues over the next 12 months. And I am I am thrilled to be there to pick it apart with you. I've got my war paint on and ready to fly. That's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really love it if you told your friends about it as well. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>